Welcome to the Outward OPC podcast. Outward OPC is a work of the Committee on Home Missions, and it exists to encourage zeal for reaching the lost and to be a tool for the OPC and other Reformed churches to be more effective in reaching people outside the church. You can check out the website at outwardopc.com for articles, videos, and tools to help you and your church be more outward in your ministry. Now on with today's episode. Brad Herzog here for Outward OPC. Today I've got a uh, full house. I've got three men joining me for this episode. We're looking forward to a good conversation. Um, These three men have several things in common. All three are OPC pastors. They are all in Southern California. Uh, I believe all were involved in OPC church planting. And interestingly, all were former Calvary Chapel pastors before coming into the Reformed world and OPC churches. And so I have with me, first of all, Jonathan Morsch, who is in San Clemente at Trinity Presbyterian Church. I have Jesse Purcell, who is in Temecula at Providence Presbyterian Church. And I have Chris Hartshorn, who is in Anaheim Hills at Anaheim Hills Presbyterian Church. So you guys have brought to a, brought me to a good transition of another question I had. Chris was talking about connecting ordinary people to the scripture. Jesse, you've been brought up preaching uh, a couple times there. Let's talk about your preaching and your teaching in particular. How do you communicate these great truths? And I might even ask specifically, I mean, you've got people dying for a hardcore reform sermon, and you've got people who don't even know what they're about to get. We know, I'm even going to push you a little bit. Uh, let's leave the Van Til Clark examples out. We kind of know we can't bring those things up. Let's no, let's assume for, for the conversation here that you're not supposed to be talking about eschatological epoch of the intertestamental period type of stuff. <laughs> How do you think about the language you use, the illustrations you use? What encouragements can you give to others who are thinking about these things, maybe just jumping into church planting that will help them continue to be solidly reformed? We're not looking to dumb anything down. We're not looking to lose anything. But even, Jesse, you mentioned justification you want to say it in a certain way. Well, what are those certain ways that you guys talk about different things that help reach the normal people without losing, you know, the hardcore reformed who are there to be fed deeply and richly? Uh, Chris, maybe I'll, I'm just picking you randomly. Maybe I'll, I'll start with you. I think that uh, as I as I prepare sermons, and I think as you think about as I think about preaching and teaching. Uh, over time, I've I've uh, come to appreciate the difference more and more, and so I think that you know during a morning worship service, preaching is at least for me and my thinking, it's not going to be incredibly deep where I'm hitting on like these deepest ideas and concepts. Uh, I I, I want to tackle a text, you know, I want to get into a text, I want to I- explain it. I want to apply it. Uh, I always want to, to to have Christ be central. You know, I always want Christ to be seen as beautiful and lovely, as we've been saying, not just as the truth, but really beautiful and and lovely, and the one that we really want to set our hearts and our affections upon. To me, it seems that as I've thought about preaching and and uh, and, and ministering God's word over the years, that I've increasingly come to see that that our hearts can be changed and and are changed we are transformed in our seats 
you know, through the worship and uh, and through the sermon. And you know, I've I've talked to somebody before that may or may not be on this call, but they were saying that that they've been to churches where maybe the gospel wasn't so wonderfully preached, but it was wonderfully involved in the service itself, and they got the gospel every week, whether or not it was well preached in the sermon. And so thinking about the gospel in the service itself, having the gospel multiple times, and then in the sermon, Christ is lovely, our hearts are drawn to him, and, and therefore away from other things that are not God and Christ, and then applying in light of the gospel, what we're to do in light of our affections for Christ, and always having that application. Because to me, if you just show them Christ, and you don't give them something to do, then they kind of feel like there's a restlessness that, that comes about. Like you need to point them in a direction. And then the deeper topics and the deeper things for, for me can be discussed in Sunday school, uh, and we can wrestle through these issues and really tackle some tough issues and where people have varying views. But in our, in our worship service, morning worship, I kind of have a view of what we're doing and the kind of service that we're having that hopefully ministers to someone who's been reformed their entire life and ministers to someone who's never been in a Reformed church in their life ever. And hopefully it can, it can meet both of those people where they're at and according to their longings and their desires and, and who they are, who God made them to be, et cetera. And so I, I try to put those things together as best as I can. And there's just a, a framework in my mind about what the morning worship service is about. And then there's something different in teaching Sunday school. And then even in our evening study, which is still for us in Southern California, uh, it's not a it's not a formal worship service, but we're going through books of the Bible and there's interaction and we can talk about deeper things as people uh, want to. But, but those are just some of the things. The gospel, again, I've said this over and over again, but to me, honestly, as I started out in ministry, the gospel wasn't always central. I mean, I, I didn't really get that. I didn't really understand that. I, I just thought that if, as long as we teach the word, if the gospel's in a passage, the gospel's in a passage, cool. If it's not, then it, it's not, and we just kind of teach the word that way, and we kind of move along. And over time, I came to understand, you no, know, the gospel, law and gospel, and these different kind of distinctions, the ways we think about different things, it really helped me clarify what I was doing. And I remember, this is an interesting story that I tell from time to time, but I remember I was, I was uh, pastoring a Calvary Chapel church plant in Lawrence, Kansas, and I remember I was like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the gospel today in the sermon and I'm just going to preach it. And I'm just, and I remember like, this is one of those weird things like putting God first in my life when I'm 17 years old, like that's really weird. And I'm preaching the gospel to Christians. That's really weird. I wonder how this thing's going to go. And I got up there and I'm like, okay, here it is. I'm at that point in my uh, sermon where I'm going to preach the gospel. And I, I preached the gospel to Christians and the countenance of like, almost everybody in the room changed. And there was this like this, uh, like this relief. And uh, people were so like, they actually like changed, not just facially, but in their seats. And I was like, whoa, that is bizarre. That is really weird. Uh, it, it, it's not just what we have to do, but what Christ has done for us. And all of a sudden, people are like radically affected. And I'm like, oh, this is the real deal. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this forevermore. And, uh, but that was just kind of one of those steps along the way. And so for me, that, I'm never, I would never stop doing that. And it's so very important. But uh, yeah, preaching 
in the morning service, which is what most people come to, right? That's our most attended service, teaching deeper things in other services, but really uh, trying to minister to all people uh, in that morning service. Jonathan, your thoughts or examples on preaching and or teaching, uh, can we say that it that it's uh, certainly reformed, but that it's also maybe normal and accessible uh, to the, the people who are maybe the first time in church? Do you think about that much? Do you, has it become natural? You know, what, what, what are your thoughts on that? So I don't really think too much about a target audience. Um, I see my job primarily throughout the week uh, as, as getting into the word and getting excited about the text. Right, any any given text that's in front of me, I should be excited about it because it's the word of life. It's a, it's a sharper than a two edged sword, and my, so I, I I need to be personally excited about that when I get into the pulpit. And if I'm not personally excited about it, how can I expect the the church to be excited about it? But if I can convey that enthusiasm about the text, and if I could communicate that text in such a way that they have at least a basic understanding of what it means so that they could go back into that text or think about it throughout the week and apply it to their lives. Um, I feel like that's 99% of my job right there, conveying that enthusiasm, that excitement, teaching the text, the whole text, and nothing but the text. That's something that I think uh, I think Jesse and, and Chris would testify to this, is that that's what we appreciate probably the most from our past in Calvary Chapel. I, I remember going to the Calvary Chapel Bible College, and part of the part of the requirement to graduate from there is you have to listen to what are called the Chuck tapes. And the Chuck tapes are uh, sermons of Pastor Chuck Smith as he taught through the entire scripture, from Genesis all the way to the Revelation. And some of these tapes, uh, you know, they're probably, they're, I, I don't know how you listen to it today because cassette tape doesn't exist, but I remember... You know, listening to the cassette tapes, they're like an hour and a half long, right? So here you have Chuck Smith preaching or teaching to thousands of people for an hour and a half. And you, you know that they're hanging on every single one of his words, right? How was he able to do that? Well, because I think he had, he was excited about the text. Now, was the, the teaching, was the content necessarily solid? Well, maybe not, right? We might take issue with that. But Something that's undeniable is that he was enthusiastic about the Word of God, and he believed in the power of the Word, and, and, and there were thousands of people there to hear that. So if I could just have some—if I could do that with better theology, uh, I, I, think, I think we got something going for us. Jesse, same question to you. Thoughts on preaching and teaching in a way that grips the reform, but also grips somebody who has no idea what they're about to get into? Yeah, I think that, that's a great question, and one that I— I've wrestled with. I think if I look back at my my earliest sermons, which I want to thank the congregation now for still being here after going back and reading those. Uh, those sermons are are now when I look at them, they're double in length what I what I preach presently. And I think part of that was the idea in my my younger days because I'm still really really young, but my younger days um, was that I had to get everything out like. The, 
what if, you know, these people didn't learn everything this week, you know, that about this text or this topic? And I had a, a seminary professor who used to say, you know, you can't say everything when you say anything because you'll so be so busy saying everything that you'll never say anything at all. Um, and so coming to a place where it's like, okay, every text, let, let's pick one thing in particular that, you know, is in this text that I'm, I'm going to preach on. Obviously, I think the center of every text is Christ. I think the OPC does really good in, in that regard as far as um, focusing on that. And I think with that, the question of like, how do I do it in such a way that it would appeal to, you know, visitors with no reform background, but also be appealing to those who, um, you know, are theologically really knowledgeable and want to get into the deep things of scripture. And obviously, I think you do need to round out your sermons where you are getting into certain penetrating points, as well as things that are more on the surface. But the reality is Christ is the thing. Uh, and those who are really, really theologically knowledgeable will be just as moved and excited and uh, drawn to teaching where Christ is shown to them as for them uh, in their justification and, and just as much for them in, in aiding and, and taking them forward in their sanctification. And so in one sense, I'm not trying, I think, to dazzle folks with are they going to know that I know my theology? Yes or no. You know, it's not an ordination exam, which I think in my early days, it was one of those I was still trying to prove that I, that I belonged in the OPC, you know, coming out of Calvary. I, I felt like I was wearing someone else's suit and like, please believe me, I'm really reformed, guys. Uh, and not having that onus anymore. Like, I know what I believe. I, I know, you know, my convictions uh, and and wanting, therefore, to say, well, what is it that these people need? They, they need Christ, that they might hold on to him again uh, in faith uh, and know that they are his, that their life is hidden in him. And again, there are different avenues for teaching, you know, more precise theology. And I don't think the pulpit is a place where I need to go through all of, you know, Bob Inger Burkhoff. Uh, I want to preach the text. And I want to preach Christ in the text. And I want to do it in such a way. And I think this is where we're not always our best is that I think in our circles, we definitely are theologically in tune. Uh, I don't hear a ton, you know, of heresy in the sermons going around, but could the average person really lean in and stay with a whole sermon? Sometimes there's so much information being given and it's being given in a way where very little metaphor or story or, uh, things that would give someone a little bit of cognitive rest to kind of take in a point. Uh, and, you know, I, I really encourage my interns all the time, like listen to other people's sermons and always listen to at least one, you know, within our own circles and tell me, how, you know, what you feel when, when you listen to them. And sometimes you can listen to something for 45 minutes and it, it, you feel drained because there's so much coming at you or there was no help in getting you to really appreciate some of the points. So, when, you know, when we preach the law, instead of just saying, you know, don't lie, which is is fine, and those that's a true statement, enflesh that a bit, uh, not by necessarily giving, you know, 15 short stories from your own life, but just, you know, use metaphor to get into, or, you know, when you're preaching the law and talking about guilt, well, you know, put it in street clothes. What is it? How does it feel to feel guilty? You know, what's it like when you know that your, you know, your wife's displeased with you or, you know, put it in some way. And again, it doesn't have to be a long drawn out story in some way where the person can lean in and hear and know what you're saying uh, without just, again, using jargon or 
And I think, again, sneaking up on people through metaphor and things like that, I think make things that were, are are obvious and known to church-going people, they make them a surprise again, or it lets the law do its job and convict us again. We say the Ten Commandments almost every week in church, or at least the two great commandments. But when I'm preaching, I don't want to put it in those terms. I want to put it in some in flesh way. I think the other thing we can do that's helpful is if all truth is God's truth. You said not to bring Ventil into this, but if that's if that's a true statement, then general revelation is God's truth. And so really mining what's going on, whether in, in sociology or what's going on nationally, and seeing that these things really are being born out in the world so that, you know, if God says, you know, these sorts of sins lead to these sorts of things, there will probably be both sociological and psychological studies that completely affirm that. So to kind of hit things from different directions in ways that people will, again, it's not necessarily like, well, I want the Bible to tell me everything. Well, it, it does, and I'm going to use the Bible to back up what I'm, I'm saying. But the reality is, even the, the pagan down the street shows that this is what guilt does to somebody. or this is, And letting people kind of expand that way or lean in. And again, if they come from different backgrounds, I think it helps them hear uh, the, the totality of the message and lets the weight of the law do its job as well as you know presenting Christ in a way that hopefully will be to them uh, altogether lovely and something that they would want to grab hold of uh, for, for themselves. Okay, last question. So if I can follow up on that last point, Jesse, about making those things accessible, you've all mentioned Christ is the center, Christ is the thing, Christ is altogether lovely. That's what you're trying to do. That's your job, uh, particularly in worship on a Sunday morning. How do you guys avoid the reformed pitfall that we all know about, that you open up the text so well and so deep, and it's 37 minutes, and now you have two minutes for the gospel and for Christ, because you've got to wrap things up. Do you intentionally kind of vary where in the sermon and how and related to the text? How how do you avoid the sermon audio experience that we all have way too often of great exposition of the text? Jesse, you said, how do I feel when I hear the sermon? And, you know, you feel like the gospel kind of got short shift because they had to move on to the next part of the service. Well, a few things. One, I think part of it is, I think, different philosophies of preaching. But I try to train the young men who come up under me that the sermon should be going somewhere, meaning there really should be, just like any good story, some sort of built-in tension and then something resolving that tension. And so I let, in one sense, the whole sermon do the heavy lifting in that if you are really teasing out things as you're getting into the tension of the text, whether the tension be a sin that the scripture is saying, people who commit this, uh, you know, are outside of the kingdom of heaven. And you know, for yourself as the preacher, you commit that sin, uh, which I think is a good thing. Knowing yourself is a good way to know your congregation um, in that uh, we, we all suffer from the same thing. Uh, but as you tease out, I guess, how sin works and how the law convicts, if you do that well enough and holistically enough, in one sense, you're already showing people what life should look like and then what we actually look like. So I don't feel like I need to repeat that in totality once the gospel is preached. As to, so here's the seven things you're going to do when you get home. You know, don't yell at your wife and do it. Well, that's everyone's already seen that exposed as what's killing us. And so I feel like in one sense, the third use becomes almost um, 
automatic in that when someone takes hold of Christ and sees him as for them in the gospel, their impulse should be, I do want to speak gently to my wife as I got exposed in the law back there as far as not doing so. And I do want to be honest, you know, true to myself and true to the Lord and also tell the truth to my neighbor. Uh, And so in that sense, I don't put a huge onus on myself to make sure that everything gets spoken about. But I do think if a sermon is structured well, and again, the problem with saying this out loud, someone's going to go listen to my sermons and be like, he doesn't do any of this. But um, there should be already a built-in tension that, again, Christ in the gospel relieves, and truly so, in such a way that we're, that we're drawn to him. And they said, and then having the question of, now I want to please you, in one sense, that question's already answered. Because if you're, if you're really teasing that out through the whole sermon, They've seen, in one sense, what the application looks like without having to kind of uh, badger them with it. Good, thanks. Any other from uh, the other two uh, thoughts on sort of how to keep the freshness of the gospel and Christ as the thing and not the final you know, minute or two when you realize you got to wrap up? I would say that's not a good way to, uh, to think about a, a sermon is just to unfold the text for 30 five minutes and then at 37 minutes or whatever, Jesus is like, it's like a pin the tail on the donkey or something like that, where you just throw Jesus at the end of a sermon. That's just terrible preaching. But I think, you know, he, he can be in the beginning or in the middle or the end or, or weave throughout and connected to what we're calling people away from or calling people into. I mean, it just, it, it really should depend. And I think the longer we, we preach the gospel, the better we get at kind of just doing that and as we're mindful of it week after week, as long as we realize, man, he is not an add-on at the end. He's not a pin the tail on the donkey thing. I mean, we can't like ever do that. Maybe occasionally, I guess, but just generally speaking, that should not be the way we think about uh, preaching Christ. And I think, I think as I think back to the way I began doing it, I think it was pretty awkward. And I'm glad that my sermons are nowhere to be found when I was beginning to do that, uh, because that would be horribly embarrassing if they were, but uh, yeah, but the importance of having Christ throughout and pointing to Christ as, as being supreme or the example or whatever it might be. Um, I think, what was it, Spurgeon that said, basically, uh, you know, all roads lead to to London and, and uh, you know, every text points to Christ. And, and uh, I think Dr. Johnson in seminary said to us one time, sometimes he would you know, jump over the hedges and uh, make wrong moves to Christ at times, and, and we don't want to do that. But it really is important for us to be thinking about how we do that rightly, right? Not to do it artificially, not just to pin it on at the end, to do it wrongly, but to think about it creatively, to think about it rightly. Because if, if you know, in the volume of the book, it is written of him, you know, if the law and the prophets all point to him, as he as he said multiple times in Luke twenty four. Then then it's in there. Uh, then it's in there, and and we do well to spend much of our time, I think, in preparing sermons, in thinking about that idea uh, and that truth. Jonathan, yeah, I think. I mean, I think uh, each text will dictate how it is that you're going to preach Christ. I could see how a sermon um, on Romans eight might be different than an Old Testament. Old Testament narrative, right? Um, Romans 8, you're talking about the work of Christ throughout the sermon, whereas maybe if I'm preaching from an Old Testament narrative, I'm building up to a certain point where maybe there is kind of a surprise at the end, you know, where we go through the narrative, but I'm, I'm getting people to ask questions about whether it's David or, you know, this figure 
how how they're how they're um, typifying Christ either in a positive or even negative way, and um, you know where we might find ourselves in the passage, and and um, so yeah, I, I do, um, I have in the past um, sort of kept that till the end, but hopefully people have been tracking with me the whole time and it's been building to that point where it's not just an add on, but it's actually the culmination in a surprising way. I often, I've, I've made a practice uh, in the past several years on sermons uh, on Easter and, um, and the Sunday nearest Christmas to not do a traditional Easter sermon or Christmas sermon, but to preach a Psalm. And I kind of want to get people to think, does this guy even know what, today is right and um and but then at the very end either tie in the resurrection or the incarnation and um and you know remind people that every sunday is is christmas and easter and and pentecost all rolled into one right and good friday too what and what what i'm presently doing you know as i mentioned i'm preaching through the book of james and and james can be a book that i you know even myself i was a bit intimidated by as i was preparing as i was telling people as we were you know, people were asking, well, what are you going to preach on next? And I'd say, James, and people go, ooh, oh, you know, we're, we're, we're going to get it. And, uh, you know, so many imperatives in James, and, and he only mentions the name of Jesus twice in the whole book. But my goal, my stated mission, and, and I've been pleasantly surprised, is to show how really, even though, even though James doesn't explicitly mention the name of Christ, Christ is the, the air he breathes. And every single one of his imperatives is rooted in the fact that we are holding the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we are we're receiving these not these imperatives not as um, falling back under the law of bondage, but we're receiving it with meekness as the law of liberty. And uh, so that that's been my goal is to as especially as I've been preaching through James is to root all of these imperatives in the indicative of who we are in Christ. Any others? I think for me, I was so afraid when I first came to Reformed Church to be who I actually am in the pulpit that I took on a kind of a more stiff persona and, you know, illustrations all had to have something to do with some historical figure or war or something because that's what, you know, Sproul and other people did. And then just realizing, like, I can't keep this up for 30 years. You know, I am who I am. And uh, so a, a lot more, you know, Bob Dylan and Flannery O'Connor made their way into sermons as opposed to these, you know, more august and uh, respectable things. But I do think in the long run that really helped my rapport with the people of the congregation, even those who had no interest in, in, in my particular interest. There was like a humanity to it that I think was helpful in that regard. Thanks, guys, for taking the time to do that. I think our audience will find it very helpful in a broad section of people that listen. So we appreciate your time. Pray that the Lord will bless your ministry, but thanks for your time today. Thank, Thank you, you very so much, much for having us. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. You can go to the website at outwardopc.com to check out more resources. And you can sign up for our email list where you will receive notifications when new things are available. Until then, we'll see you next episode.